0: Why, oh, why did the Vikings stop targeting Justin Jefferson? Why don't they target him enough in general? What's wrong with the run game? Is that dependent on Dalvin Cook? What happened in that game against the Lions? Why is the offense in such a slump right now? And some scattered defensive thoughts as well here on the Locked On Vikings podcast. Ooh, wee! You are Locked On Vikings. Your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Locked on Vikings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making the Locked on Vikings podcast your first listen of the day. I'm your host, your pal and the kitty copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. And the show is on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. And today is uh, we'll call it our What Happened Wednesday. On what happened Wednesday, we go over the previous game and we ask the true nature of what happened. I'm not here to tell you what everybody's PFF grade was. I'm not here to talk about conservatism, I'm not here to talk about quotes that happened after the game or Bashad Breland's tweets or anything like that. I wanna to get to the crux of what really happened. In the game and really explain why the game went the way that it did and I think that has to start with the Justin Jefferson question so let's talk about Justin Jefferson we'll talk about the run game I've got some defensive thoughts as well but the Justin Jefferson question is one of the most common things that I've heard uh there were a ton of questions about Justin Jefferson in the mailbag a ton of stuff and basically I think he ended up with eight targets which led the team by the way um but there's a, a lot of narrative. I think we're all just still a little sore from Stefan Diggs because Stefan Diggs didn't get enough targets. He, uh, Kirk Cousins missed him wide open a whole bunch of times in 2018 and 2019. He was mad about that. And obviously that spurred all the events that end up getting him traded. So I think we are a little bit scared of that, but for one, Justin Jefferson is getting targeted a lot. Uh, he is currently 12th in the league overall in targets. Um, just pure volume. I think targets like per route and stuff like that he goes up and catches he goes up and stuff when it actually is efficiency but if you just want the pure volume of who how he's been targeted it's 12th and i guess that's not enough for a bunch of people i tweeted that out and a lot of people were like well what if he was third uh and I, you know i wish he was better than that he should be number one in the league in targets that's Devonte adams right now um and like look whatever <laughs> i i don't really need him to uh like there's like eight targets between 12th and third Um, so yeah, if you want to suggest, Hey, maybe they should target Justin Jefferson one or two more times a game. i sure that's a reasonable suggestion, uh, but it kind of feels arbitrary. Why not two times more a game? Why not four times more a game? what's the actual amount of targets that is the correct number of targets for Justin Jefferson? Um, and I I think if you're going to kind of be that granular about it and say, no, 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 one or two more a game is, is the right way to go. And he'll be third in targets and that's the way it should be. Um, then you kind of have to examine, On a more granular level, what is happening on each of those snaps? If you just want to go through each game and find a play where Justin Jefferson should have been targeted and wasn't, then sure. Um, Or is it that he's not being utilized in the right way in the play calls and stuff like that? Also, I just want to point out that Justin Jefferson isn't Stefan Diggs. Like, not every good wide receiver is the same dude like Jefferson seems like this extremely happy go lucky guy Stefan Diggs was intense I guess is the way that I would put it and that's great I mean fantastic for an NFL player right that's not an insult to either of them um it's just a different personality and I think we should probably stop treating Justin Jefferson like another Stefan Diggs that feels like it Kind of cuts him short a little bit, but anyways, the deal with Justin Jefferson. So here's the, the the gig with Justin Jefferson. So he gets like seven targets in the first half and one in the second half, right? Over 100 yards in the first half and then totally disappears in the second half. So what happened there? So basically, they were, uh, the, the Lions were in like cover one and cover two man a lot. And to explain this, by the way, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to go to the whiteboard where I actually have a little bit of a visual aid. Um, If you're not a visual learner, you don't prefer it, or you're in the car or whatever, don't worry about it. Um, But if you would prefer, there's that for you on YouTube. So in the first half, the Lions played a lot of man-to-man coverage, which is exactly what it sounds like. Everybody covers a man, and then with the safeties, you either have both of them deep or you have one of them deep and somebody blitzes or something like that, right? Um, So that's pretty simple defense and it works really really well when your players are better than their players i am baffled by why the lions did that because in the secondary that is absolutely not true they had undrafted rookies one-on-one covering justin jefferson Um, and a great way to attack especially cover two man where both safeties are deep and then you're just playing man-to-man coverage from there a great way to attack that is with what's called a smash concept and the Vikings ran a bunch of smash concepts. And really the crux of a smash concept, a smash concept can take a lot of different shapes, but the crux of it is that you have somebody kind of run a route up high and usually toward the sideline and another person run a route really low toward the sideline. And then the cornerback has to choose one or the other and you throw at whoever he doesn't choose. So he's always wrong. Um, A very common way of doing that is you have a slot receiver run a corner route and then you have the outside receiver run like a little curl or something uh, and then the cornerback will have to choose between the corner route or the curl. Pretty easy stuff. And what happens is, you know, they would have a slot cornerback with some inside leverage because he's cheating in to help the run or with some other responsibility. And then you would have Justin Jefferson running a, route one, a corner route one-on-one against that guy. And because the deep safety has to cover an entire half of the field and worry about a bunch of stuff inside, then he won't be able to go outside quickly enough to help. So it was this huge problem, and Justin Jefferson torched him. Then in the second half, uh, the Lions switched to Tampa Two, and Tampa Two is an evolution on Cover Two. Or a, it's a zone defense, so you're not asking guys to cover one on one anymore. They're passing off, and they're kind of it's an easier defense to run. Um, it's also an easier defense to beat, but it's an easier defense to run. Uh, so the the gimmick of Tampa Two is it's kind of like Cover Two and a Half, is a way to put it, where you have the same two deep safeties, but then you ask one of the linebackers to also set really, really deep and sort of handle the middle of the field. And it allows the safeties to worry a little bit more about outside and a little bit less about inside because the linebacker kind of has them covered. And then you play a regular zone defense from there. And that's really good against those smash concepts because it frees up that safety to focus more on the deep outer part of those routes And then that frees up the cornerback to cover the shallow part. So nobody's in conflict anymore. So that's what they started running. So the Vikings probably called smash into that too many times. um, And that's probably my critique of the play calling is that they kind of didn't, they kept running that. But basically on most plays, Justin Jefferson was the deepest player in the first read. Every play, the first option is deep to Jefferson. And did they take that away or did they not depends on what happens and, you know, that, that dictates whether or not somebody else gets the ball so i want to make it clear that when the lions changed their defense to take justin jefferson's deep routes away that doesn't mean that it makes it harder to throw to him it makes it impossible to throw to him and there was even somebody who who said in all earnestness well screw the defensive look throw it to him anyway he's your best player and i I get that he's the best player but screw the defensive look is asking Kirk cousins to throw interceptions knowingly and on purpose Do you want more interceptions? Because that's how you get more interceptions. And it has nothing to do with how good Justin Jefferson is. That could be Randy Moss and Jerry Rice and Calvin Johnson all put together into one gigantic, crazy wide receiver. That is just a bad idea. It would still be intercepted. It could be any wide receiver in all of history and it would still be intercepted because it has nothing to to do with how good the guy is. They're undercutting the route and are going to pick it off if you throw it. And in doing so, they're opening themselves up to a lot more stuff, like more routes over the middle, um, you know, crosser routes or whatever. uh, The other side of the play usually has something else going on that becomes the read. And then Kirk Cousins makes that read. Um, and the other thing it opens you up to is the run game. You've taken two safeties out of the box because they both have deep responsibilities. You've taken a linebacker to go even deeper and you've put him in conflict. It's very soft against the run game. And so you run the ball. And that's why the Vikings ran the ball so much in the second half, not necessarily out of a, a sense of conservatism, although there was too much of that for sure. Like don't abandon that critique by any means. Um, but a lot of it also was the defenses the Lions were running, like encouraged that. So they were encouraged to run. Uh, both by the factors of the game, you know, up two scores in the fourth quarter and stuff, but also by the defenses that the Lions threw at them. The problem is the run game sucked. And I want to tell you more about why the run game sucked and we'll kind of shift gears to that in a little bit here. But first, if you drive a lot, you buy a lot of gas and that can get annoying and it can definitely get expensive. So I got a way to save you a little bit of money at the pump. Get Upside is a free app on the iTunes Store or Google Play, and it can get you 25 cents off per gallon at the pump. And if you drive a lot, that's like two, three hundred bucks a month. It is real money and you can cash out any however, whenever you could just do direct deposit to your bank account. You can do Amazon gift cards if you'd rather a uh, number of other ways, PayPal, whatever you can cash out. And if you use promo code touchdown when you sign up, you can get 25 more cents off per gallon at the pump. That's up to 50 cents per gallon at the pump just for using promo code touchdown again it is a free app on the itunes store or google play that can get you up to 50 cents off per gallon at the pump with promo code touchdown okay so the run game sucked and calling run plays there were some times when they should not have called a run play like the third and seven with the fumble and all that um but i think in general calling run plays probably is what the move was to counter what the Lions were doing, but the run plays have to not suck, and they sucked. So why did they suck? Um Part of it is Oli Udo, part of it is Alexander Madison, um, and a number of other things. Garrett Bradbury also had a pretty poor game, um, but it's not quite as existential. It's not quite as root to, he just missed some blocks. Oli Udo's problem is like root to zone running. So as a zone run blocking offensive lineman, there is this concept of covered or uncovered. Are you or are you not covered? Uh, and that kind of determines who you block. It's so a way of figuring out who you're supposed to block. And the basic idea is if there is a defensive lineman in front of you, you block that defensive lineman. If not, you are uncovered and you go to the linebackers. So if you're covered by a defensive lineman, block that defensive lineman. If you're uncovered by a defensive lineman, go find the linebacker. That's basically the rule. But you can see how that can get confusing sometimes. What if a defensive lineman lines up directly in between two other offensive linemen then am I covered? am I not covered? You know, what's the play? And that's where part of the play designs go come in and you essentially the answer to that is you have to have discussed that beforehand in the week leading up to it or probably in your summer install. So Oli Udo had a really really tough time with covered or uncovered. and there were a number of plays that were ruined by Oli Udo not knowing who he's supposed to block. He would uh, you know, go block somebody. And it would be a double team that wasn't supposed to be, or you could kind of tell either Bradbury or O'Neal would be like, wait, you're supposed to go to the linebacker and I'm supposed to get this guy. And you would get, you know, uh, Oli Udo or Brian O'Neal, you know, hands on their back, kind of trying to scrape over to something else and looking very confused. Um, Very clear that Oli Udo had a big problem just knowing who he's supposed to block on the play. Uh, And he hadn't been having that problem, I don't think, all year. So that's really disappointing that he got so confused by it. the other problem was Alexander Madison. Alexander Madison was an absolute disaster in this game. I am going to go pretty hard at Alexander Madison on this uh, because I, I, a, I think he did have a bad enough game to, to warrant that. But as I watched, it was very clear. I think if you were to tally up who was at fault for each ruined run, I think Alexander Madison would lead the charge. Um, and I'm going especially hard to because I think this is one of those moments where a running back mattered and running backs mattering is a, a pretty hot take. <laughs> so I want to be very clear about why I think that. So there's a lot of different ways. First off, in just a general athleticism sense, he's not Dalvin Cook, right? And we're used to watching Dalvin Cook with all this birth and athleticism and agility and smoothness. Um, with Alexander Madison, it takes a lot more steps for him to change direction. It takes him a longer time for him to move from one gap to the other zone running as the running back. There's a number of reads. We can go over it in a little more detail another time. Uh, and we have in the past, if you just want to go find one of those old episodes. Um, but basically you have a number of reads on any given play uh, that are based on the leverage the defensive lineman has. So if I'm an offensive lineman and the run play calls for me to, get a defensive lineman on my inside shoulder and stop him from getting to my outside shoulder, right? I'm supposed to seal him off that way. You're inside, you're in the gap you're supposed to be, and I'm blocking uh, you from getting to the outside. But let's say I lose that battle and the defensive lineman is stronger than me, he gets to my outside shoulder anyways. The running back's job is to see that, read it, and say, okay, well, now I'm going to the lineman's inside shoulder. And essentially his job is to make the offensive lineman correct whether or not he won his block. So that's what Dalvin Cook does, right? Right. But what that causes you to do is you have to, as you're kind of approaching the point of attack, as you're approaching the offensive line, you have to kind of move across gaps and it all reads at light speed. So it's incredibly hard and it's something that Dalvin Cook does very, very, very well. It's part of what makes him such an impressive running back. Um, Alexander Madison was very hesitant in doing this. Sometimes he was just flat wrong and just went to the wrong place and got tackled um and sometimes when he was right it took him too long to get from the gap he was going to over to the gap he's supposed to go to and trying to go to either because it takes him too many steps to change direction he just doesn't have that smoothness um and that's just kind of a factor of athleticism that some guys have some guys don't um and just like a lack of burst through those holes you know those holes close up fast you're run blocking you cannot hold that guy up for forever it's not like pass protection where you can hold it up for 2 3 seconds those close those holes close up immediately Um, and so they get tight and you have to squeeze through them and you have to have certain balance to do that. Alexander Madison is kind of a one cut and hit someone kind of back. I he's, he's a thumper. That's the thumper kind of back. And there's a place for that. But as your starter, uh, it, it, it doesn't work in, in a zone scheme. You know, if you're just a thumper trying to hit someone, well, if that someone is in the gap, you originally were going to and hitting him means the run goes for zero yards, don't hit him. And sometimes he would even decline to hit him, trying to bounce things outside for a bigger play. That was a huge problem Alexander Madison had in this game, was uh, not taking the yards in front of him. If it is first and 10, and you see a, a gap, and you go up it, you're going to get five yards and get tackled. You'll never make a big play out of it, but it'll always get five yards. You take that. That's good play. Go take that. And usually it's, the you know, each play is kind of pre-discussed a little bit. Hey, we need this to get four. We need this to get five, blah, blah, blah. Um, or you at least have a general sense of what is supposed to be going on, right? If it's second and six, this is needs to get us four. So we can set up a good third down. If you can get a first down, that's great. That's gravy. Um, and a lot of times Alexander Madison would, would pass up an acceptable amount of yards that were there right in front of him. And he just has to run forward, take it and doesn't even have to break a tackle. Just take it. And he would pass that up to try to bounce something further outside and try to get a bigger play out of it. But he doesn't have the athleticism to get those edges and to get around defenders. Defenders have, an eyes, have eyes and they have a brain, right? That's the theme of the day. The defense has a brain, too, and you can't just do whatever you want to them. Um, and because they have eyes and a brain, they're going to follow you outside. And now it's, are you faster than Jalen reeves Mabin? And the answer was no. Or are you faster than a safety? And For Alexander Madison, the answer is no. Um, Or Alex Anzalone did this as well a whole bunch of times. He just was not more athletic than Alex Alex Anzalone, um, and therefore he would get tackled for very minimal gains. And he ruined a lot of otherwise well-blocked plays doing that. I have a whole thread up on Twitter. I'm probably going to write an article sometime in the season about kind of the difference between Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. Um, But yeah, Sorry, the running back mattered. I know that you have finally been convinced that running backs don't matter, but the the running back mattered. It was, and and it mattered in kind of a big way because of what the Lions did on defense that uh, kind of encouraged all this running, you know? So they took away the deep ball, at the cost of opening themselves up to a run game and we could have gashed them with a run game. And I think we would have, if Dalvin cook were in the game, Um, but they basically opened themselves up to being gashed in the run game. And we called all those run plays and we pissed all over ourselves instead of doing well in the run game. And that's really, really disappointing. And so I think in order of, of culprit here, and I don't think Clint Kubiak did anything, did too much wrong in this one, except he called smash too often. Um, but considering how well it worked in the first half, even that's like understandable. Um, So I I think like schematically in the actual realm of what happened, I am blaming Alexander Madison, then I'm blaming Oli Udo, then I'm blaming Garrett Bradbury in that order. Um, I also have some thoughts on the defense that I would like to share. Um, So we will get to all of that. But first, let me talk to you about the best tasting protein bar on the planet. Built Bar is absolutely delicious. Covered in 100% chocolate. It's so great for those late night cravings. You just want something chocolatey, but you don't want to fall off the wagon. Maybe you're doing keto. Maybe you're just trying to lose or maintain weight. Either way... You can go open up the fridge and have a Built Bar. High protein, high fiber, low sugar, low calorie, low carb. Delicious comes in nine main series flavors. Chocolate mint, chocolate orange, if you're into that. Uh, Chocolate coconut, cookies and cream, chocolate cherry, all sorts of delicious stuff. Feels like a cheat day without having a cheat day. So head on over to Built.com. You can get a sampler of all nine of the flavors or just a box of one of of your favorite, whatever you want, and you can enter promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and you can get 15% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. So obviously the offensive debacle that was only scoring 19 points against the worst defense in the league deserved a little bit more attention. So I paid a little more attention to that. But I also have some scattered defensive thoughts I want to I want to share. Um, and the first one of those is that coverage was pretty good. It was very easy. You know, Quintes Cephas and Khalif Raymond are not exactly a murderer's row. Uh, but I would say that the secondary and in particular the corners, Bashad Breland and Patrick Peterson, in situations where they had to cover man to man, dominated those players the way that you would expect good corners to dominate bad players, bad wide receivers. Um, and that's encouraging. It, again, you can only take so much out of beating up Khalif Raymond, right? But they beat up Khalif Raymond and they did what you want them to do. You know, you have a good, you say, if you're a good corner, you should kick this guy's ass. They kick that guy's ass. And I think when it comes to the defensive line and the pressure and all that, and it was fantastic, right? Daniel Hunter getting a lot of great pressures. Um, Everson Griffin doing a great job and all that. Uh, DJ Wanham had a good game. James Lynch had a sneaky good game and all that good pass rush was great. And it ruined a lot of plays and it got pressure and it got sacks and they kind of didn't need it. Uh, they didn't need to play as well as they did because the coverage had them. They, there were a lot of Jared Goff sacks where if he got away from that, he wouldn't get in anywhere. There was nowhere for him to throw it. So I the defense, when it was a straight up man to man situation, when it was just mano mono, mano, I'm lining up and I'm beating you, did a really good job. Now, there were some run defense problems. Um, I think, I mean, I think A, the Lions have a good run game. They use a lot of motion. They use a lot of pre-snap trickery and their running backs are good. Um, and kind of do a good job of setting up blocks and stuff and finding things. And they're just, they got two good running backs. And, and I think that makes a difference. Um, and I'll talk about all that in a second, but I think especially against the pass, I thought the defense was fantastic and you would expect them to look fantastic against the Lions. Um, so they met that expectation, I would say. And we can be happy about that. In terms of the run defense. So Zimmer said that they had a few misfits um, and what that, you know, a run fit is refers to, Uh, run defenders getting into the gap that they're supposed to get into, you know, winning that shoulder battle, the other side of the thing I talked about with the offensive line. And uh, basically the Lions are, their run game's pretty cool. Um, It's I like the way it's designed. It's very fun. And it's kind of the one thing that they have going for them is their run game. And it uses a lot of motion and a lot of misdirection to confuse those fits. Run fits are unbelievably complicated. I cannot explain them to you over the course of one podcast. (laughs) But generally, it's just the rules that tell you which gap you're supposed to attack um, and which gap you're supposed to fill. So if it goes through that gap, it's my responsibility. If it goes through the other gap, it's your responsibility. Run fits is just that set of rules, right? And again, there's so many different things. A lot of run fits is are you going to attack the outside of the running back or the inside of the running back? Um, So are you going to lever him back inside your lever defender or are you going to spill him outside that makes you a spill defender? Um, Or are you a force defender, which refers to the outermost guy, which is kind of keeping contained on the whole thing. Um, So you can kind of string the running back along all the way out of bounds. And that's when you see those run plays that go, you know, for minus two and they just run out of bounds. Um, when everybody does their job and the force player usually is pretty responsible for that. So there's all these different rules, right? Of who is who. And when a lot of those rules depend on where tight ends and fullbacks and running backs all line up, how they are all aligned. The specifics of it are different every program you go to, every team you go to, so don't worry about the specifics of what that actually means. You know, if you are the Mike linebacker, and you're watching the tight end, and he goes here, I go there. If he goes there, I go here, and just know that, like, that's generally the the thought process. So when that tight end motions across the formation, it changes what's the strong side of the formation and what's the weak side of the formation. And that will change who is playing nose tackle, who is playing three technique, You know, those guys, you'll actually see the, if you watch the defensive tackles, they'll both shift over a gap in response to motion because that changes all of the alignment rules and they do it right before the snap. So now all of a sudden, you've got like seven, eight players who all have to process that change, be on the same page about it. They all have to be right about it, and they all have to do it fast enough to not screw up the play. And motion is kind of what the Lions do there, and they do a really, really good job of confusing the gaps that way. Um, and I, I think overall, they just there was some trouble here and there defeating blocks. Anthony Barr got washed out twice, I saw, although I thought he had an otherwise very good game against the run. Um, I, I think Dalvin Tomlinson got pancaked once Eric Kendricks had a tough time. DJ you want him? had a tough time sometimes? Um, even Daniel Hunter got washed down the river a few times. So uh, sometimes it was just trouble defeating blocks. Sometimes it was, you know, misfits means you did the wrong fit and that wrong fit was caused by shifts going on in the backfield. And skill players running around and kind of changing whose gap was whose, and then that becomes really hard to process, and the Vikings messed that up. And I think the Lions do a good job, and I think it's more credit to the Lions than it is uh, like a a ding on the Vikings, um, which I know sounds really weird because the Lions we know to be bad, but they're good at this particular, like, specific thing. Um, And I think they were just good at that. And then the running backs are good at kind of taking advantage of those mistakes. So... I'm not again I'm not like that worried um, and I think it's reassuring that Mike Zimmer also is like not that worried but that's generally the idea I had about like the 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 run defense. So uh, there's like six things we talked about in this show that I wish I could do a whole show on and I might you know in May in the kind of dead months of summer or whatever when we're still doing this show but uh, for now I hope that kind of explains some of the burning questions we have why didn't justin Jar- why didn't justin jefferson get targeted well because the lions kind of sacrificed everything to make sure we couldn't do specifically that and when we tried to punish it a bunch of guys messed up and on defense i hope we kind of understand how things went Um, But now it's time to focus on the Carolina Panthers, who are a much different team than the Lions. And so now we got to get to know who they are. So we're going to talk to Julian of Locked On Panthers tomorrow, help us get oriented, and then on Friday we'll really dive into it. So make sure you stick around with all of that stuff. And thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. Uh, You can check out Peacock and Williamson for your second listen of the day. If you are so inclined to uh, find a national show, those two guys are doing a great job over there doing the national angle. So I will see you all tomorrow for crossover Thursday. And as always, skull.